This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the ninth chapter. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, mountaintops are places of revelation in the biblical world. We think immediately of Moses on Mount Sinai where the tablets of the law were given to him. Then there's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is a manifesto for life in anticipation of the coming reign of God. And so it is fitting that this epiphany season should come to its revelatory climax on a high mountain. I've been using the image of unwrapping our Christmas present during these Epiphany days, as each Sunday we have learned a little bit more of who Jesus is and what he is about. Now the last of the wrapping is off. On the mountain with Peter, James, and John, Jesus is transfigured before their eyes in a heavenly glory that transcends the mundane. Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets, draw our attention to the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment and summation of all the divine revelation that went before. That revelation then is punctuated by the presence of Elijah, who was the expected herald of the coming Messiah. And finally, in this jam-packed revelatory event, There is a theophany, a voice from heaven. It is the same declaration that the Father gave and that we heard at the time of Jesus' baptism. But then, as Mark recorded it, then at the baptism, that heavenly word of affirmation was heard only by Jesus, a personal word of assurance before his time of temptation in the desert. Here... As Jesus was beginning to turn his face toward Jerusalem and the fate that awaited him there, this was also a word of assurance. But this time, 
it was heard by all who were there. A word of assurance also for those waiting in anxious hope for the coming of the Messiah. And as the final word concerning his messianic authority and identity, we have the Father's command, listen to him, listen to him. Peter, James, and John were stunned and terrified. They didn't know what to make of it. Peter did see that this was something special and and it was a good place to be. It would only be until much later that these disciples would realize that Jesus' dazzling appearance was a foretaste of his resurrection glory and a foretaste of all life transfigured. The moment of glory ended and then we read these all-important words for those disciples and ultimately for us. Suddenly they looked around and they saw no one with them anymore, only Jesus. Jesus, only Jesus, walked and continues to walk our way with us here below. The mountaintop moments of Christmas and Easter fill us with joy and excite our spirits, but what about the world of Mondays that stretch out for a lifetime? Those days of gladness when God's blessings virtually transfigure our lives, and these are surely God's good gifts. But what about the long dry spells? When blessed, though we may be in many ways, the big thing may just be getting through the day, minimizing the conflicts, solving the problems that seem possible. As the joy of hope and life born of the nativity, heralded with a chorus of angels and the alleluias of, uh, of, of the angels and the, uh, the events of Revelation and Epiphany, all this glorious time gives way to the passion story of Lent and Holy Week. And the alleluias of festival days are put to rest, so also our lives move from transfigured moments of joy, sometimes to moments of sorrow, from triumph to trials, from gain to loss, perhaps simply to drudgery and the challenge of just getting through the day. That is why it is important, so very, very important, that Jesus went down the mountain with them, There is no sorrow we have known that he does not and does not, he does not known and does not endure with us. There is no loss that we have known that he did not know and does not share with us. There is no conflict that has drained us that he has not faced and does not face with us. There is no betrayal we have experienced that he has not and does not experience with us. There is no pain that has racked our being that he has not felt and does not feel with us. There is no cruelty that we have suffered that he did not suffer and does not suffer with us. He endured it all and continues to live with us. Peter understandably wanted to stay there. Who wouldn't? 
But Jesus would not yield to the temptation of staying there, as wonderful as it might have been for him. For he had us in mind, you see, and care for the whole of God's creation. He is now on the plane of this earth as he was in the humble setting of a stable in Bethlehem. God with us deep in the flesh of our humanity. He is with us as we are with him. And this is what we understand in the sacrament of baptism, that we celebrate this festival baptismal day and the baptism of Cone and Grayson that will soon occur. In baptism, our identity with Christ is intimate and everlasting. St. Paul, writing to the Romans, says, Therefore we have been buried with him, that is, with Christ, by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in the newness of life, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The transfiguration of Jesus was a look ahead for him beyond the days of his passion to the glory of his resurrection. In baptism, we share in this resurrection promise. In baptism, we are marked for everlasting life with God in Christ. We hear God's voice calling to us also, you are my beloved. It is our personal Easter. Now here are some good words about baptism from Luther's small catechism. Luther says it brings about forgiveness of sins, redeems from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe it. Baptism is a grace-filled water of life and a bath of the new birth in the Holy Spirit. As St. Paul said to Titus, through the bath of rebirth into the renewal of the Holy Spirit, which he richly poured out over us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that through that very grace... We may be righteous and heirs in the hope of eternal life. This, says Luther, is surely most certainly true. So in baptism, we are sisters and brothers in Christ. How about that? How about that? Members of the immediate family. Baptism is life transfigured. Baptism is for life. It does not go away. It is lifelong. There's no need to do it over, and indeed, one should not. Baptism is not a mere ceremony, or is in some churches reserved for those old enough to make a confession of faith. That places the emphasis on human participation. Baptism is a sacrament, and that means it's God's action, not ours. Well, life may take many things away from you. Health, wealth, loved ones, job, reputation, and more. But it can never take away from you that you are a baptized child of God who has called you by name and made you a part of an everlasting community. The body of Christ. The church universal. And concerning that, the Nicene Creed says that that church universal is one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. 
as the church universal, we are one, says the creed, a unity in baptism that transcends the many earthly divisions of the church created by fallible human beings. As the church universal, we are holy, as the creed declares, not in terms of our own righteousness, but by the sanctification of baptism, we are holy in the sense of set apart, set apart for the service of God's mission. And so, as we have said before, in baptism, we are all ordained to the ministry of the whole people of God. Baptism, then, is also a calling to serve our neighbors with the grace and love of the gospel and to care for the earth. As the Church Universal, we are Catholic, so says the Creed. And Catholic means everyone. The entire diversity of humanity is included. And none are excluded. Our identity with Christ in baptism supersedes all other identities, racial, ethnic, economic, sexual, you name it. All the identities of this world are passing away. Only identity in baptism is forever. And finally, the creed declares that we are apostolic. It means that like the apostle, we are sent Baptism is a launching pad propelling us into the world. It's not something to have and to hold only for ourselves. The word of God's salvation faithfully passed down through the apostles, through the martyrs, through the teachers and pastors and and the whole host of the faithful. This word of salvation is the hope of the world guaranteed by the Spirit. So, called to serve the world in God's name, the baptized, our lives transformed, transfigured, our lives transfigured. It is fitting then to go forth with this prayer along with Peter, James, and John as we come down the mountain into the plain of Lent. It's a stanza from an old hymn. How good, Lord, to be here, yet we may not remain. But since you bid us leave the mount, come with us on the plain. Come with us on the plain. Amen.